Acts chapter 2, as we think through the doctrine of the church and its importance, I might have mentioned this last week, but the last time at Calvary we had a series on the church, on a Sunday morning series, was back in 2018. And so it's been a number of years, and I approached it a little bit differently at that time, and uh, chose some of the same scriptures we're looking at this time, and then some different scriptures now uh, as we're looking through this. And it is something that we need to, every once in a while, keep returning back to. Because the church is who we are. We are the church, right? This is who we are. And we need to understand that, and we need to understand our role as the church in this world, and uh, before God, before the watching world, and with one another. We have to have a good understanding of these things. And there is not unified agreement on some of the issues concerning the church uh, among the church. And so there are things that we should discuss on that as well. And so we thought before we jump back into Romans 9, let's spend some time thinking about the church. And it's good because that's giving me, I've, I've taught a lot more on the church than I have on Romans 9, 10, and 11. And I need, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time in Romans 9, 10, and 11 getting the entire context of the whole thing. And it's really a lot of connections uh, to what we're looking at this morning. Romans 9, 10, and 11 is essentially Paul answering the question, what about ethnic Jewish people? What about the nation of Israel? That's what it's about, primarily. Has God's word failed them? And the reason that question comes up is because the vast majority of Jews then and all through the last 2,000 years, up until this very day, reject Jesus as their Savior. The vast majority. So, the question comes up, has, has the Word of God failed them? And that's his, what he's answering. Of course, the answer is no, but he's going to explain how God fulfills, specifically, his saving work among the Jews, how he will fulfill those saving promises to them in 9, 10, and 11. But it is connecting to what we're talking about now because we need to see a clear distinction between the church and the nation of Israel. These are not the same entity. These are not the same uh, people, if you will. As we looked at last week, Israel church is not a new, a repackaged Israel, nor is it a continuation of that people. It is a new entity, a new man. We'll look at some of those verses again this morning, bringing some clarification to that. What we need to see in Acts chapter 2 is that something new is beginning. Some of it was clearly prophesied about that becomes clear in chapter 2 as Peter is preaching and he quotes from Joel. Some of it was hidden, hidden with God and not revealed until the new covenant. But nonetheless, what is happening is new. These are a new people being baptized, as we just read, 
in, by, with the Spirit into this new body of Christ. We read that earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, let's just read the first four verses again as our springboard for this morning's message. In verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they, that is the disciples of Jesus, were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's just leave it there and we will pray and ask God's blessing on this message. Father, we pray to you now as we talk about your church and the church of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would guide me with your Spirit from the Word so that what I say is right and true and even said in the way that it should be said. I pray that as we receive your word with meekness, your spirit would instruct us and uh, bring us into more clarity about who we are, our identity, our primary identity, being members of the body of Christ. Help us to see that. We know that if we see that rightly, what you're doing in and through the new covenant age and the church itself, we will bring glory to you. And so we ask for that. We trust you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Acts chapter 2 is not about speaking in tongues. That's not its primary purpose. That word tongues is really, in my opinion, an unfortunate translation. It should be just languages. Because what was happening here was they had received this special ability, this gifting to speak real foreign languages that they had not had any experience in or training with, and they were prophesying and speaking the words of God in those languages so that those people that had gathered there, all those Jews that had descended upon there that spoke some of those languages, were able to hear the gospel being prophesied about and they're spoken in their own tongues. It is not about speaking in tongues, though. I know that sometimes... When people read passages like that, they get fascinated on certain aspects of it, and that fascination with this aspect of it, like tongues, especially because it's become controversial in the church, becomes the main point of it. They can't see beyond that to see really what the whole point of what is happening here is that the, that was a sign in part of judgment upon the Jews, just as Isaiah prophesied what happened, but in addition to that, it was a sign that the promised Holy Spirit had come, really pointing to this greater harvest, this Pentecost, that would be the Word of God spoken in other languages to the languages of the people around the world. It was The gospel was going to go out to every tribe and tongue and nationality, and it's the beginning of that. It's the beginning of this new age in which... Jesus was going to gather in people from all over the world into his people, into his body. And it wasn't going to matter where they lived or what language they spoke. It was going to go to all now. This was a new era dawning 
And this is the birth of the church that Jesus had promised. Something entirely new is happening, something that you are having the privilege of experiencing. The New Testament authors want you to know what a great grace it is, what a great privilege it is to be a part of the body of Christ, God's work in this world, to be called the people of Jesus Christ in this new era. There were elements of this time in which you live, in which Peter said the prophets longed to look into, or they, they wanted to see and know really more than what they were even shown and what they were prophesying about. They had to come to the conclusion that they were just prophesying about a time they were not going to take part in, and it was going to be for us, and you're in that time. It's quite a privilege. And as I mentioned, there is a connection between our study on the doctrine of the church and that of Romans chapter 9 through 11. In both the Old Testament era and the New Testament era in which we live, there was and has been and is an identifiable people of God. An assembly, if you will, a congregation, a church of His people. In the Old Testament, that was the nation Israel, physical descendants of Abraham, eventually living in their own land, the land of Canaan, which of course became known as the land of Israel. In the New Covenant era, the identifiable people of God is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the body of Christ. It is comprised of Jews, yes, and Gentiles. It is ethnically diverse. It is comprised of people from all over the globe. Matter of fact, it's comprised mostly of people from all over the globe and not Jewish people, but it's comprised of both. This is the church that Jesus promised to build. Remember this new thing that he said, I will build my church. doesn't exist now. It's not Israel. But I will build this church. It's going to happen. This new ecclesia, this new congregation, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail over it. Remember that word church, ecclesia, so important to understand what that word meant in the minds and hearts of the people who were hearing it spoken in reference to the body of Christ. An ecclesia was simply an assembly of people who were called out for a purpose. It was an assembly of people called out for a purpose. And there is an ecclesia in this age, and there was an ecclesia in the old covenant age. There was a church, it was Israel. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 7, in verses 36 to 38, Stephen is preaching his sermon here to Jews as a Jew. He's recounting the history of Israel. And this is what he said. He said, this man led them out, that's Moses, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. So get the picture of where they're at now in Old Testament history. You're way back there in the book of Exodus. And they've been brought out 
Israel has been brought out from Egyptian captivity. They've been brought into the wilderness. They're gathered there at Mount Sinai. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in, now notice this, the ecclesia in the wilderness. This is the one who was in the church in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. There was a church. There was a congregation. There was an assembly. There was an ecclesia in the old covenant era and it was the nation Israel, an identifiable people of God called out and gathered for a purpose before God. They were the church of the old covenant era. But now we're in the new covenant era. And we have one far greater than Moses who has led us out of captivity. We have Jesus, the prophet Moses prophesied about who would come and lead his people in this new exodus out of sin and death and gather them together as his people. That's the church of Jesus Christ in the new covenant era. We are the church of Jesus Christ of the new era. And the fact that this church, now listen carefully to this, that this new assembly that Jesus would build, the new covenant people of God, would be comprised of Jews and Gentiles in one new entity, equal next to each other, no hierarchical structure as though the Jews are like this and we're like this under them, but that God was going to take Jews from ethnic geographical Israel, call them out through Jesus Christ, bring them into this new people group with people from all the nations, gather them into this new entity now, the church, this new unified people of God, the congregation in this world and in this time, that was a mystery. That was something, friends. By mystery, we mean something that God had kept secret. He told nobody about this. No prophet prophesied about this new entity called the church. Which is why when it was born and it started spreading, the Jews had such a problem grasping it. Paul's entire ministry, know this, was more than preaching the gospel. His entire ministry was going about and explaining to Jews and Gentiles alike, there's a new people of God in town, and it is the church, it is the new ecclesia of the new covenant era, and we're all in this together, this one new entity. It's my job, says Paul, to reveal this mystery to all of you. It's one of the reasons it led to him getting his head chopped off. It was this mystery, this thing that I'm teaching you right now, the new covenant people of God is the church of Jesus Christ and in this age has replaced the nation of Israel as the identifiable people of God. 
It is that mystery that these people would be brought into this new entity that caused the Jews to persecute Paul the way they did and led to his demise. This is the mystery he revealed. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to find Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bibles. We're going to spend a few minutes walking through two lengthy sections of Scripture that teach what I just summarized for you. Paul had to always go out of his way, first of all, to the Jews to say, you cannot despise the Gentiles. They are one with you now in Christ. And you need to begin letting go of those old covenant structures that God had in place. And it's interesting that in the intervening time between Pentecost in AD 70, which would have, would have happened, uh, you know, what, three decades later or so. I'm just, you know, four decades later. 80, whatever, doesn't matter. But anyway, between that time, you still had the Jews in their land you had a temple, you had a priesthood, you had sacrifices. And so honestly, it made sense that the Jews that came to faith in Christ would kind of probably still begin or still continue doing what they had done. So at Passover, maybe they'd go into Jerusalem. At Pentecost, they'd go into Jerusalem, still maybe meeting in their synagogues, doing new things, even though they embraced Christ. But it is interesting the way in God's economy and how he's done things at AD 70, that's done. He's making it in AD 70, by the way, is when the Roman Empire under the general Titus goes into Jerusalem. They surround it for a long time, starving the people out. They go into Jerusalem slaughtering Jewish people, and they destroy the temple. In God's economy, that was, well, that was a couple of things. First of all, that was judgment upon the Jewish people. That's judgment for the rejection of Jesus Christ. That's judgment upon them. They were scattered at that point. But in addition, what God is doing in that is showing you, you see that structure? You see that old wineskin, if you will? It's done. A new age has dawned now, and we have new wineskins for the new wine of the gospel and the new people of God. We are in a new time, the time of the Gentiles, Paul calls it, the gospel proclamation to the nations. You can call it the age of the church. You can call it whatever you want. But it's a new era that has dawned. God makes that clear. Now, look at Ephesians 2. Remember now, Paul has to constantly be teaching this. He says in chapter 2, verse 11, and he's going to speak just to the non-Jewish people in the congregation, ethnically Jewish people, in the congregation in Ephesus. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by Jews, which was a derogatory term, by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So think of all the centuries up to Jesus. All of them. Millennia. They're separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope 
and without God in the world. But now, now things are different. Now is a time indicator, isn't it? Now says there is a new age that has dawned. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. That is Jew and Gentile now. He, Christ, has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, on the cross, the dividing wall of hostility, which was the law, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. All of those things we talked about last week, those ceremonial laws, civil laws, cultural laws, the law itself divided Jew and Gentile. As a matter of fact, that's what's its purpose. You will not be, says the Lord to Israel at Sinai, you will not be like the nations around you. You're going to be distinct. So I don't want you eating certain foods or wearing certain clothes or doing certain things. This is how you're going to govern yourself in this true theocracy and, and establish your laws. And these are going to be the punishments. All of it, friends, separating these people out from all the rest of the nations. That was its purpose or one of its purposes. But now, says Paul, through the blood of Christ, the law of commandments has been abolished or rendered ineffective for this age in that way. Which means, just to flesh that out a little bit, you don't have to observe dietary restrictions as an example. They have served their purpose, you see. And it, not only had that been a dividing mark between Jew and Gentile, but it was an animosity producer. That really, what he said, it was a dividing wall of hostility. By the time you get to the New Covenant time, can you not detect from the Jewish people in the Scriptures how much they hated the nations? Proud of their position as the people of God, despise the nations. But that wasn't a new sentiment, by the way. Read the book of Jonah. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. Their enemies preached the gospel. He runs, everybody says, because he was afraid. Jonah wasn't afraid. He explained why he didn't go at the end. Because God had mercy on him, and he's sitting there pouting. I just want to die now because I knew you were merciful. I knew you are going to save them. He hated them. There's nothing but hostility in these people groups, Jew and Gentile. But he abolishes, verse 15, the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he, here's the purpose for doing that. Somebody says, why did he do that? This purpose that he might create in himself one new man, notice this, in place of the two. It, the church is not the continuation of Israel. 
It's a new man, new humanity, if you will. And it is in place of the two, Jew and Gentile. So that when you are saved and you come into the body of Christ, your primary identity now, any ethnic position you hold, including being a descendant of Abraham, is a far second place to your identity now in the body of Christ. You see that? That even as Jewish people would come to faith in Christ, they wanted to hold on to their Jewishness as their primary identity. We're descendants of Abraham. This is our primary identity. We live that out by keeping the law, the ceremonial laws. We, we live this new identity, or we live out our identity as Jews first as that, and then they wanted to make, they, they're like, okay, well, great. Okay, so God's going to save Gentiles. That's fine. Let them come to us. We'll teach them how to be Jews now. And Paul's saying that's not what the cross effected. The cross brought into existence an entity, a being, a man, a humanity, a body that didn't formerly exist that replaces the two when the people come into it, you see. Their primary identity then is in this new people group making peace between them because what had barred them and separated them has been set aside, you see. Verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, Gentiles again, you are no longer strangers and aliens. In other words, you're no longer uh, foreigners just passing through the land. And you're no longer aliens. That was one that could come in and get like what we would call a visa and kind of be a part of it, but not really. Just kind of a sub-part of this new community of God. Not the case. You are fellow citizens, you see, with the saints and members of the household of God. Together, Jew and Gentile, at peace in one new entity. Now that was not made known. What God was going to do in that was not made known in the Old Testament. It was clear in the Old Testament that a Messiah was coming. It became clear after they saw the Messiah crucified and risen again that it had talked about that. It talks about the Gentiles receiving salvation. That's all over the prophets. Gentiles receiving salvation. Gentiles going to be a part of this new kingdom that is coming. But the fact that Jew and Gentile now were going to be in a play, in a body, in a new entity that was distinct from Israel or any other nation or people group, but together at peace in this new body, that was a, minis- min- uh, that was a mystery. That was a secret. That was something that God kept to himself until the time was right. And this was Paul's primary message. The roots of racism and the roots of hostility among and people groups are strong. 
And from the very beginning, this new body had problems with division. They had strife and animosity towards this. Now, look over at chapter 3 and look at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, remember, he's the apostle specifically to the Gentiles, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. When you think of the word mystery, think of the word surprise. You know, some people like to give surprises, so they'll hold something secret. And then at the right time, they surprise people with it. This is exactly what God has done. The church itself, in this one new man, in this binding together of Jew and Gentile, was a mystery. It was a surprise. And at the right time, God says, surprise, here it is, the body of Christ. Something you didn't see coming, but something that is wonderful nonetheless. Something that is God's people you must embrace because you are a part of it, of this gospel. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of His power to me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, one of God's purpose in what he's doing in the church and bringing this new man together and all these different people groups that are even represented here, people of different backgrounds and cultures and everything else, brings them together in one is so the angelic beings can see the wisdom of God in working this all through. This, he says in verse 11, this mystery was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In other words, it's new to us, but it's not new to God. This was the plan. Sometimes the church age and the church itself is taught as though it's a parenthesis in God's plan for Israel. I know why they're saying that, and I know where they're getting it, but I'm uncomfortable with that terminology if by that we imply that the Messiah Jesus shows up, offers everything to the Israelites, they reject, and he says, okay, well, I guess what I'll do, we'll do this now. The church was never plan B. It was always the plan. It was always the purpose from before the foundation of the world. This is what God was up to. This is what he was planning for. This is what he was working towards. This is what you're in now, you see. The church, if 
A Gentile in a church should never feel inferior in any way to the Israelites at all. You were the plan as well as the Jews. This was the plan, you see. This was His purpose, and it gives all of us in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory, and I'm suffering again, remember, because of the mystery that I proclaim about this one new man in place of the two, and that ethnic Israel and Jewish Israel has been set aside for the time. Now, what you'll learn in Romans chapter 9 through 11 is that God is not done entirely with the nation of Israel. And that's proven by Paul in a number of ways, not the least of which he says, I'm a Jew and I'm saved. And there are many others that are Jews and they are saved. And not the least of which is that in chapter 11, there will be one day a mass revival of the Jewish people. Zechariah tells about this day, they're going to look on the one they've pierced and the mourning is going to be so intense that they won't even do it with one another. They've got to say, I, I just got to be by myself and mourn over the one whom I've pierced. And in that day, a fountain will be opened for them of forgiveness. And we know, right, the fountain that's filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, that the sinners plunge beneath that blood, lose all their guilty stains. This is the revival of whatever, whoever Jewish people are alive at that time, ethnic Israel. God remains faithful to his commitments to their, that people group because of the commitments he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But anyway, the church, friends, is the mystery revealed. We are the mystery revealed, Jew and Gentile. And can you see with what we've walked through why to Paul unity in the church is so important? That there cannot be, as we read in 1 Corinthians 12, division in the body. There cannot be one member looking down on another. That the church itself, what Paul will go on in Ephesians uh, 4 to say, be eager to maintain the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. That unity that the spirit is producing in the bond of peace because it reflects directly on God's plan for the ages. It reflects directly on the cross because remember where peace between Jew and Gentile and between all of us comes from. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. So when there's division and there's hostility in the body of Christ, it reflects poorly on Christ's work because this is exactly what he died to bring about, you see. And it should shatter in our minds racism. Annalie and I did a stint down south, and I say that that way because I'm a Yankee to the core. I was born in northern Illinois, and living in the south was interesting. The winters were sort of nice, and the people are nice as far as it goes. The culture's a little slow, and people aren't in a hurry. Maybe that was preparing me for Grand Junction. I don't know, but in the south, we went to a church. It was a pretty historic church. I think it was founded back in the 20s or 30s. Their original constitution barred black people from being members. Now, of course, that was changed. As a matter of fact, we had a great outreach. This, this church was in a predominantly black neighborhood, and we had an outreach to the children there, especially in uh, 
Bible clubs and we had uh, VBS and everything and it was really wonderful and anybody would be welcome to walk in that church to become a member if they're a believer in Christ by this time. But that's how it began. And so it's hard for me to think about a pastor of a church, that man, whoever it was at that time, is preaching the word of God and preaching through Ephesians 2 and 3 And seeing the peace that the blood of Christ was supposed to affect among the people of God. And then that man telling a, a black visitor, I'm sorry, you can't join our congregation. How can that be? Well, it's because deeply rooted in all humanity is the tendency to despise and look down and hate and divide, and be hostile. Which is why you need the Spirit of God as the church, which is what we'll look at next week. Who produces within us this new entity, this new creation, who loves human beings. And in the church, friends, we see the unity being played out. The angels are watching. The world is watching. And Jesus said, let them be one, Father so that the world would know that you sent me, that they're one, you see, they're united. When we understand that it was God's intention through the church of Jesus Christ to be un bring unity between people, to form this new humanity that feels no hostility, the only application that we come with that is that we love one another regardless of who they are. We love the people of God. We accept the people of God no matter how different they are culturally. As a matter of fact, we embrace it. We celebrate it because this is a picture of what the gospel does as he gathers in people from all over the world. Let's leave it there and let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for bringing us into your church. Thank you for replacing hate with love. And Father, for your glory, will you please keep Calvary Bible Church a united church? Maybe if there's hostility in any of our hearts towards anyone else here, that as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, your spirit would convict, counsel, and then console that person in Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.